welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. Today we have Jeff Simons. He did 26 years in Navy EOD, uh, retired as a Lieutenant Commander Select, uh, participated in Ernest Will, Desert Storm, OIF, and been basically all around the world multiple times, uh, multiple times to Australia, uh, a ton of different mobile units, some uh, uh, units that we'll talk about that uh, aren't stood up all the time, but are pretty cool. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Jared, thank you so much for the invite. Um, uh, hats off to Tommy Rebus. I have to give him some kudos for uh, recognizing, you know, the Echo Oscar Delta podcast. You're in town and uh, certainly giving me the opportunity to speak about a few things that are near and dear to my heart um, and um, and recognize a few people that were really influential in my career. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, I guess to get started, um, you were kind of, you know, we were talking a little bit before and and you've done a little bit of everything and Mm -hmm. and pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Where would you like to, to start? Mm. It's a hard question. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and I don't want to go all the way back to boot camp. Certainly I don't. But, um, y- you know, I-, I want to kind of fast forward to what I think I, you know, is important to me is transition. Okay. And, and how uh, how we transfer all these amazing and unique skills and experiences into the private sector. Because yeah. at some point that is going to happen. Right. Right. So I've gone through that. I've assisted others. I still assist others. Heck, I'm, I'm assisting my daughter. Yeah. Right. Who's just completed five years with the U.S. Coast Guard. Nice. Uh, up in Michigan, Lake okay. Superior. And she's ice rescue qualified. Really? Think about that. Right. So uh, it's a passion of mine. It's a mission. But um, yeah, let me just kind of walk it through. Obviously, uh, uh, served 26 years from 80 to 2006. And there were some amazing uh, uh, periods of that, you know, timeline that I'll just highlight. Obviously, you know, from uh, boot camp uh, to EOD school, that's a fast forward is uh, went to Orlando. Uh, okay. I went in the fourth man diver program. So yeah. It was at 5331, but it was the fourth man diver program because didn't have a whole lot of EOD techs back then. Mm. This is 80 <clears throat> and uh, boot camp selected, uh, went to HDA a school. Okay. Right. Metal benders. Yeah. Firefighters. <laughs> uh, that was cool. So that was the source rating, uh, whole techs. And there's a few of those whole techs out there, old schools. Yeah. Right? Uh, DC, right. A whole tech. So I went to HDA school, then immediately went down to Coronado to dive school, right. Scuba school. And I forgot how many weeks it was, but, like, uh, I think I heard Dwayne, he had a mixed class. So I had recon, I had some mm. submariners in there and, uh, and a couple of Navy swabs. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> and, uh, we're going through school. I was going to be heading off to, uh, to a detachment. So back then you augmented a, a, a detachment. You were the fourth person on the dive station. Okay. Literally. And then, you know, once you made rank, because you didn't go to EOD school as a seaman or a third class. You had to be a second class right, back then, right? right? So you had to, you know, cut your teeth in the fleet, learn a skill, be an apprentice. So uh, that was my path until one of those swabs we talked about 
Frank Oldry. <laughs> he got caught looking into a secured area on the mm. far end of of NAB Coronado. Okay. And that was a place where we heard, right, there were dolphins. <laughs> So Frank says, hey, man, let's go check it out. So he does this night up. He gets, he gets caught. <laughs> so uh, they, they roll him up. They make him come in the next day to see the commanding officer, who was a SEAL. Uh-huh. And he said, hey, uh, what'd you see? And um, you can do one of two things. We can pull your clearance or you can volunteer. True story. Yeah. Told Frank, right? Because what you saw, you're not supposed to see. The systems back then were see, uh, secret. Yeah. And some portions of it were TS. So Frank, so Frank comes back, he's sweating bullets and he goes, Hey man, I, this is what happened. And by the way, he says, if I get one or two other volunteers, <laughs> I'll get off the hook. <laughs> right. And I said, no, no way. I said, it's my life dream. I worked at a Marine Institute when I was in high school down in Florida Keys. I was a Jacques Cousteau fan. Yeah. And I said, anything in the water is what I want to do. So awesome. I literally said, count me in. <laughs> Didn't know what we were doing. We weren't read in. Yeah. And man, that was that was a, a quite an experience. So the entire unit, except a few of us, were all SEALs. They were all Vietnam okay. era SEALs. Yeah. Okay. Legends. Uh worked on some very unique programs. And so these are old, old and bolds. Uh, so those are my sea daddies, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? So um, had to earn my fins. I was scraping barges, you know, with my yeah. hands, literally, right, with a <laughs> scraper. Okay, you learn your fins. Had no wetsuit. I mean, you earned every piece. Really? Yeah. That's it's awesome. like going through mini boats, right? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we integrated. Uh, took a while to gain that trust. Uh, then you're a secondary on a, on a dolphin, which is, you know, a living, breathing mammal. Yeah. So there's a lot of art, a lot of t- knowledge required. It's not as easy as cutting and throwing fish. Right? All right. So fast forward. Um, so again, all of those systems were run by the SEAL teams or the SEALs. EOD steps in. Mobina 3 is commissioned in 83. And now it falls under an EOD mission, right? Because of the mind warfare piece. Right. I think the SEALs wanted to get out of that. Yeah. Uh, but I was with the short time, which was the anti-swimmer uh, program. And so... Mobile 3 is established. I go off to EOD school. Okay. I was in 1B86, right? <laughs> and so uh, uh, there's a few people in there you may know. Yeah. But anyway, 1B86, come back to Mobile 3. Part of the first MCM team that had Mark 16s. Okay. Okay. Didn't know what that was. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> I knew what it was, obviously, but just was employed. We were the first debt. And, um, did a lot of MCM nexes, uh, you know, all up and down the coast on the old MSOs, the wooden hold. Yeah. Mine, mine, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we did a lot of that, a lot of time on a rubber boat. And then um, Ernest Will starts. Ernest Will starts. They deploy the Mark VI system mm-hmm. to protect U.S. assets in Bahrain. And we were the second deployment. It was six months before us. We relieved them and situ uh the mark six system is operational and as i had mentioned earlier we patrolled every night yeah not one night off for six months from sundown to sunup and it was operational yeah it was on and we had a great crew i mean just amazing everything was clicking um again uh Another great experience of, you know, opportunity. I was a head trainer because I'd been around, you know, the systems for probably longer than most since the early 80s. Yeah. And uh, our LPO had to go back. I fleeted up. LPO time, got it. And then um, 
kind of fast forward a little bit, uh, get back and then got orders to Australia. Nice. So I was on the personal exchange program yeah. um, with the clearance divers. And we have this long standing relationship with the Aussies. Yeah. Uh, we have this exchange program. Uh, they send their uh, exchange to training unit. Uh, I think they sent one to NSCT1 at but back in the time it was VSW. Okay. So I, I served on VSW. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, two years. I'm over there, started off their REN school, had to get all my tickets for diving, dive soups, IED soup, right? You just don't have yeah. to go to Bandiana, learned uh, from probably the world's best IED um, bomb techs at the time. They were all from Northern Ireland. Okay. British. That makes sense. And yeah. they tucked them in there for reasons. Yep. Okay. So you learn a whole different perspective of what what the idea is and how to defeat it. Yeah. You're just not doing x-rays. You're, you're thinking through why is it here, who built it, mm. and how is it going to go off? And we didn't have bomb suits. We had 60 seconds. Yeah. We had to 60. That was our, right? Or maybe less, maybe more. <laughs> right? You had to go down and do your business. And um, so it's a Friday. We're two weeks from coming back to the States. My wife and I were married. Uh, Sydney, Australia was our, our, or if you will, this exchange tour was, was our first tour together. Yeah. Amazing. But it was a Friday. We get the call up. We're packing out. And uh, the, the commanding officer of the team, Russ Cronin, at, or Crawford at the time, excuse me, said, hey, um, would you go? And I said, where? Where are we going? <laughs> he goes, we're standing up clearance dive in Team 3. Um, and you've been selected to be a part of the team. I'm like, what? Why would you do? A, I mean, a yank, right? Yeah. There's a reason to this. So I, I thought, oh, this is going to be a deployment. Call up my wife. I said, sweetheart, could you give me my passport number? <laughs> she had no clue. Yeah. So this is absolutely true. It's a Friday. We pack out. We leave Sunday. We left on a Sunday for six months. I didn't have comms with uh, my lovely wife for over two months Wow! for various reasons. We yeah. didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. Right. right. We were doing false insertions, right? The Aussies were there. They weren't there. Okay. So there I am with clearance dive in team three, uh, desert storm cleared five ports and, um, part of a U.S. contingent at the end, uh, Pete Jimenez, his debt, uh, Randy Thurman. Okay. We can go on, but, what an experience. So I get back, roll out two weeks later and uh, training unit one in Hawaii. Yeah. And I think you said you, you did some time in nukes. Uh, yep. I was in underwater. I was in nukes. I did chem and really learned a lot. Quite frankly, I think if I could recommend one thing is get to a training unit and really hone your trade crafts. Yeah. Crafts. Right. Go move around those divisions because the schools are great. You know, you get to go to schools you don't normally. Right. So training and it was a really big, in my opinion, professional development. Yeah. Um, uh, that's where I applied for LDO. Okay. Right. First, first and second, you know, time. Yeah. Very competitive. Right. I mean, my year groups, right. Kevin Childry. We'll come back to brother Kevin. Yeah. You know, Leon Tackett, uh, Mike DeHoyos and uh, Gunnar Mesa. And, you know, there's a host and we we're all in the same year group, yeah. what a competitive group. Right. That's awesome. Somehow <laughs> I prevailed. <laughs> and um, but I was at Moby at 11. Okay. So from training in at one, I went to Moby at 11, got a detachment. 
Right. All slick bombs. I loved it. Yeah. And uh, what a great crew. Mine's ready to be molded. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I'll tell you one thing, and I, I hope each one of those members on that team would, would resound the same is, you know, as a chief, I was a chief, uh, my first dad, mm-hmm. uh, taking care of your team. So before they got there, I sent them each a, a form, give me your sizes for everything from shoes and you know, uniforms. And I literally, you know, would, uh, kit out their kit bags. Okay. Right. Cause it took months to get gear back. Then, yeah. Right. So when they showed up, they had a kit bag with their gear, right. We were ready to go. That's awesome. Right. So that's, that's kind of the, you know, entry into that. Um, but within a year, uh, uh, results came back and I was selected okay. as a Mustang and as an LDO. Nice. And uh, one of those members, by the way, and this we'll get into this, is what are the things, the amazing things we do in EOD? Uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah. So, so my OIC, Randy Packard, right, oh, yeah. young lieutenant yeah. at school, uh, started a company. And uh, many may recall who it is. And it's R3. Right. So. Um, that's me, awesome. Yeah. Right. So and there's a few others I'd like to bring up. But fast forward um, from there. Uh, my first tour as an ensign was EOD Mobile Unit 5. Uh, then when, go ahead. sorry, yeah. when you were at Mobile Unit 5, was that, I'm trying to think, because uh, it, was it already moved to Guam or was it still in, in the Philippines? No, good, good one. No, so it was in Mo, uh, Guam. Okay. And they had taken over that new facility. Yep. Okay. So it was kind of a new facility. We didn't quite have the back uh, piece of property that it has now. Right. But uh, yeah, we had the, the high bays. And uh, foul eagles, you know, you had a lot of MCMXs, yeah. uh, Cobra Golds back then, a lot of bilat exercises. So yep. we were always, you know, in and out Easy. of the shop. Yeah, it was good. Good work. Nice. Mm-hmm. So uh, Moby Unit 5. Uh, from there, uh, came back to the States, Moby Unit 3, R&T. Um, and back then, when I say back then, uh, there was real emphasis in running some training. Yeah. Right. Like the mobile units, that was their responsibility. Right. The training units were really the Cardex or whatever we were calling it at that time. It's kind of a finishing right. you know, piece yeah. of that. So uh, big investment, superstars. I mean, superstars. Um, I had Kurt Nelson, Mass Chief, right? Uh, Rommel Mesa, right? Was there. Gunner. Uh Ron Zitzman, yeah. superstars, right? And a host of others, uh, master divers and some of the best parachutists uh, going. Uh, Graham Lindsley, rest his soul, was with us. So we had a pretty um, fully staffed, very experienced team. And, and you know, we, we pulled them in, got their records ready, kind of gave them, you know, many, many workups, inspections, and make sure they had their gear, boom. And so it was a great investment, great, great experience. And then from there, I went to VSW, okay. Shallow Water Mine Countermeasures yeah. at the time, right? And I was the EX-8 platoon commander. And now you'll know it as Mark-8. Yeah. So this was the marine mammals being used with low visible technology, right? And I mean, low visible. Yeah. Um, and we employed them to do the search and other things, right? In the VSW zone. Um, the platoon, we had like 20, 24. Oh, wow. And uh, SWIC, I had SWIC members, I had SEALs, we had EOD, um, and uh, we had Woody Carr. 
Yeah. He, what, he nice. was, what he got was my chief. <laughs> the only way to keep those pirates and uh, no, those professionals <laughs> in, in check, man. He was a great, great uh, leader in that, in that very unique. So we went yeah. through fleet uh, acceptance, which is not easy. And um, so VSW became Naval Special Clearance Team One, yeah. which now let me connect a dot. I was the EXA platoon commander, and then I fleeted up to the OPSO as operations. And um, I was part of the early planning, right, for OIF. Okay. Only my boss and I were read in yeah. on what they were thinking of doing with this unit. And so I was working with counterparts back in Fifth Fleet yeah. to come up with the con ops of how this system could be used. Right. Which it was. It was used to kind of a port breakout, so to speak. Okay. In Umkasar, not a port break in. Yeah. Right? So they, they cleared, you know, the port and other things. And um, so VSW, then from there I go to uh, EOD Group 1. That was the N7 readiness, got it. And then that uh, transitioned to CTF 56. Okay. So I was on the original 56, I was plans, and then I was the ops. Yeah. So I went over and planned the op <laughs> early. I went in January, and I think we stepped off. Couple months later, we're in Umkasar. Now I got to run the thing. Right. What an experience <laughs> that was, right? Umkasar. And um, 56 was a very small element, but we had 800 multinational forces under CTF 56. We had the 17th Port Maritime. They they were a group of uh, Brits, British, mm-hmm. um, and their job was stevedores, crane operators, railroads, warehousing, right? They operate ports. Yeah. So that's what they did. EOD, we had to clear the port of all the IDs, UXO, NSCT-1, cleared the underwater. Uh, we had the salvage assets. There was a lot of salvage. They, they opened up the Seacox, uh, put a lot of tonnage on the bottom to keep ships from being able to tie up. Okay. So yep. salvage divers, the heavy salvage divers, yeah. not the light. <laughs> <laughs> George Byford. <laughs> so uh, heavy salvage. So their job was, you know, find and fix and lift heavy things. Yeah. So 800 of these people are falling under, right? Our task force yeah. with working, you know, uh, having already worked with Australians, so another yeah. nation, right? Yeah. Did that did that help working with all of these, like understanding that there are differences? Because yeah. yeah. I think that's what I see usually a lot of times with uh, people who don't do a lot of exercises yeah. and then have to go work with somebody else. It's it's a learning curve, even if they speak English, even if they use majority of the same words. The way the way they talk, the way they do things is different. Did that help, man? It, so true. So true. And I, and I think we have lost the opportunity, not the ability, the opportunity in our bilat exercise, because we have not done bilats in 20 years. Yeah. We've been busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. Right. So to your point, absolutely. So my, uh, you know, participation, when I say I was an operator on CDT3, right, I knew the lingo and there is a different lingo. Yeah. Um, I knew their tactics and policies. I knew when I say I knew. Um, I had a good understanding of what was important to the Australians mm-hmm. nationally, right? There, there's other things you're thinking about, right? Like, hey, w- we want to do that. Like, they did the Alpha. They did some really pretty dangerous work. They went on the Alpha side or the other side of the river, <laughs> close to a four letter state we yeah. can't name with an <laughs> I and an N, right? And they were up there clearing, you know, uh, that side. And so, but that was, you know, that was important to the team and for their uh, objectives, right? Mm-hmm. They have 
operational strategic objectives right. and you got to allow them that opportunity and work with them. So, and yeah, so I, th I think it did help out. Um, uh, I knew some of the senior officers at the time mm. and uh, that was also very beneficial. They yeah. knew me, I knew them. You know? right. So that helped. Um, yeah, you got to have that relationship. Building international relations is one of the responsibilities Right. Of every member in uniform, especially in the senior ranks. Yeah. Enlisted and officer. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I, I've noticed that uh, you know, being in Guam, that's where it happened the most. Yep. But just going yep. to different countries here and there. And after a while, it, not just in the uh, you build relationships mm -hmm. that and, and that is, you know, I, we've talked about it um, just this morning, you know, but building those relationships is what allows you to do things that you may not have been able to do otherwise, you know, especially when you're, you're integrating with yeah. other countries. Mm -hmm. Um, but e even take it all the way down to doing the, the bare bones, basic, yeah. the things that the E4, E5 are tasked with, which is just doing courses in a SME mm -hmm. and learning that if you are working with somebody who doesn't speak mm -hmm. English, right. Mm -hmm you can't talk for an hour and then have the translator speak, <laughs> you know, True. it's just, it's such yeah. a basic thing, but right. yeah, yeah. working, working, uh, at those smaller levels first and then building up, you get relationships, you learn how to talk, you learn how, what, what their strategic plans are, you know, and like and limitations. Yes. Right. Yes. I've seen this before where I'll give it an example. So, uh, clearance diving team three, the clearance divers are there. One of their specialties is clearing things underwater, yeah. right? Hello. Weird. Well, they use jack stays, right? Okay. If anybody ever seen a jack stay, it looks simple, but man, right? You're laying a thousand meters of nine mil line out yeah. with 40 pound rates and they got a tray and they got this system, right? And they're laying it out. And uh, so they lay out, we were doing, we were underwater clearing um, a thousand by a thousand, no, we do a thousand long by 200 meters wide. Okay. That's the office. I mean, that no problem. Now the, 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 uh, us wasn't used to how to do that. Right. Yeah. So we would lay out the jack stay. We would say, Hey, take this portion of it. And after time they, they got it down. Mm -hmm. Right. But those are the interoperabilities, right? We didn't have time to teach, but we laid out the jack stay. That's your grid. We're going to go over and do that because we needed some offset in case we came across underwater mines yep. or an inadvertent explosion, right? Makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah. That could get bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to be too close to it. <laughs> right. So, interoperability, you're absolutely right. And, and working together. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, while you were at, at 56 and, and stand that mm. up, um, where'd you go? From there, how how that would end up working yeah, out? Can I? Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Viewers, and so uh, I don't know if you can see it. So this is fortune favors boldness, right? Um, it is by Admiral Barry Costello, and Admiral Costello was the head of the Naval Task Force, essentially, for all things uh, OIF. This okay. is OIF one and O three, and Admiral Costello uh, mentions. I mean, we're throughout this book. When I say we. Because this is a story of we. It's it's uh, Naval Special uh, Clearance Team One, CTF fifty six, um, uh, small detachments on patrol boats, the intercepted suicide boats. Yeah, right? they're all in here, and and I think it's a it's an amazing story because you know EOD matters. Yeah, right, absolutely. And we do some incredible things. Uh, I don't see some photos there, but. Um, 
it's a great story. Uh, I served on his staff and what an experience that was. I mean, I was in his wardroom for the plans and uh, I'd sneak into his wardroom. No joke. I'd sneak into when I say sneak. <laughs> I was invited, sir. But I, I literally I got midnight. I'm making a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Pops the door open. There he is. Admiral Costello. Right. Hey, sir. Hello, sir. And he goes, sit down. I want you to walk the dog. He was infamous for this. And you'll hear me say it occasionally. I said, walk the dog. I said, sir, I didn't bring any dogs. Right. He goes, I want you to tell me what you think, Lieutenant. Right. I was Lieutenant. And I said, well, here's what I think. And facts, assumptions. I mean, you're just not, you know, game in this. Yeah. Because we were planning how to carve up the port of Umkasar. Okay. Because I had the VSW experience. I had a very unique perspective. And now I got the land side. And we had to, so 56 carved up and, and did the land side, and, and uh, NSCT did the underwater side. So I said, sir, you know, these are how I, I see how we're going to carve up the pie. This is how we're going to get after it. And we had 72 hours. Yeah. Right. Before the phone call yeah. came. And it's in this. Who the phone call was? It was Rumsfeld. Yeah. Called Keating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How come the port is not open? No, he said, have the port open in 72 hours. Yeah. Okay. Because we need to get the Galahads or Galahad in for humanitarian relief. Right. 72 hours. Right. And, uh, and w what a level of effort by all members of Australians, Brits, US, you name it. Yeah. Right. Couldn't have been done singularly. And uh, so there's a great story in there. If you're, if you're up to it, you should have a read. That's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it, something that that kind of occurred to me as as we were talking, and I, I know we were talking before and talking about uh, uh, just the what's kind of happening right now, which is not a lot, right? But throughout your career, right, when I look at the years, there were times of war times and conflict, right, and then there were there were, uh, peace time or or downtime, I right. guess you could kind of say. Um, <clears throat> This is going to sound like a weird question, <laughs> and I'm going to ask it this way because I'm pretty sure I know the answer, okay. right? Okay. Um, before you got to 56, right, before 56 was stood up and you were in that, that kind of down period before there, did you know that you were going to be asked to go to 56 and do any of this stuff, right? I didn't think you, you no. did, right? So, no. so with that being said... Um, the things that allowed you to be successful mm -hmm. in doing what you didn't know you were going to be asked, yeah. right? Because we don't, and the reason why I ask it this way is we're in that time period where there's a lot of things that could happen right. in the future, right. right? None of us know which one's going to, right? Mm -hmm. and if somebody does, they haven't told the rest of us. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the, the, the question is, what allowed you to be successful? Because I, I feel like that's something that a lot of us kind of know whether we acknowledge it or not. Right. And that, um, because we're in that period right now, the, before the next conflict, yes. before the next war. Right. So right. Yeah. what would you say, or were some of the things that allowed you to be successful? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because here's part of the answer is, uh, nobody chooses the time of conflict. Right. Right. I Agreed. mean, recent experience. We just left Afghanistan and now we're in 
Eastern Europe, I'll call it. Yeah. It's not just one country. Right. right. It's all of Eastern Europe. So, and that, that shift happened, what, in six months? Yeah. Right? Think about it. So, so nobody gets a vote on when is convenient to go to war. Exactly. And that's what readiness is all about. Uh, so, so part of, I think, my perspective is how, you know, we were ready for 56. And by the way, CTF 56 never existed. It was in a couple of, you know, war plans or conceptually, mm-hmm. but, um, and I'll call them out, John Wood and Ted Lucas and a few others really championed the fact that, you know, we're n- naval special operations. Okay. We're not just EOD. Right. Salvage. And, uh, you know, we had all these other hosts of skills and now NECC was a product of that. Yeah. Right. I was, <laughs> I helped write part of what NECC is, okay. right. Uh, where, you know, we were consolidating EOD, combat camera, uh, CBs was a bit of a, you know, push pull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's salvage. Okay. So, so we we're tucking it all in because we, the Navy needed a, not EOD, they needed the bigger Naval Special Operations. Okay, yeah. I think that's important. I don't think many of us understand how that came apart, uh, uh, to fruition. And um, and so, yeah, I, I was part of that, you know, authoring of that, now NECC. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting back to CT-56, never existed, never never did that, been there, done that. And uh, I got fragged out. So I... Simons, go out there and see what's going on. <laughs> Got read in. I called the boss. I said, boss, this is happening. Yeah. That's all I could say. This is going to happen. Right. So get things ready. So um, on that, it is um, one, certainly expertise. You got to know your trade craft. You got to know the other areas of expertise that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Or go get the right answer. Okay. Second is relations. Okay. I, I do believe that. Uh, love me or like me, or hate me, right? <laughs> right. I, I work. I did my best, right? Yeah. And uh, I was um, uh, EOD is my my passion, my religion to some, right? Uh, you talk about that. Why do you fight? You don't fight for your flag. You fight for your shipmates. Yeah. And I will tell you that from personal experience, right? Being with uh, a, a, you know, being with a whole nother nation. I wasn't fighting for Australia and I wasn't fighting for the US. I was fighting for my shipmates that I lived and worked by day after day, right? And that's, yeah. you know, and I'm not sounding, you know, anti patriotic, right? No, no. But that's the core of it. And so um, relations matter because you're going to have to work with others in and out of uniform, right? And I'll talk a little bit about my experience as a transition. Yeah. Right? It was because of some good relations. Right. That I had established credible relations, reputable. So your reputation's everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Your trade craft, your expertise, your experience all roll into we're going to work with that that person, that professional and, and um, assist him because I could have uh, and I did have quite a few roadblocks. Yeah. Right. As you're trying to stand up a whole new task force. So um, and then. Uh, you better have a sense of good humor. Yeah. <laughs> you better have a sense of humor. <laughs> Don't take it personally. Right. Yeah. right. Get mad, get over it. Yeah. Get on with it. Right. So. I, I like what you said that, you know, uh, you, you fight for your shipmates. Right. And I, I think when, when you said that, I think uh, the way I've kind of looked at it is like I joined to fight for my country or I joined for, for patriotism reasons. Yeah. But yeah, you, 
once you join, okay. And then, and I've actually, so what I, I tell a lot of guys is the first enlistment is patriotism. Everything after that is for me. And and it sounds weird, but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but everything after that, yeah, it's because I still want to do it. Right. Not because yeah. of patriotism, honestly, like sure. I doesn't mean you're unpatriotic, but, but then I, I look at that and yeah, cause there's, there's a lot of times and you, you talk to anybody who's, who's done, you know, a couple of years and there's a bunch of things that you're asked to do that mm-hmm. you may not necessarily agree with sure. as, but it's not, it's not a, a, a moral wrong. It doesn't go against the constitution, but you're like, man, this seems kind of silly, but you know, that you got a person to the left, to the right, the front, the back, you know, and, and those are the guys you really care about. Yeah. And, so that's why you actually go in and do the yeah. job. You yeah. know, we, we, you know, EOD is truly a very unique profession. Yeah. Right? We're running toward danger, not away. Yep. Right. Unless you see me running. You so it is in, in you have to put a lot of trust and confidence, uh, level of expertise. People ask me, why don't you dive? Why don't you parachute anymore? I said, because when you do it with the best, just, no, yeah. Right. It's just <laughs> anticlimactic. So, and you know, and you trust them. Yeah. I mean, who's yep. back in my parachute. Right. Yeah. And so who, who's maintaining my Mark 16 rigs? You know, you get all that. So yeah. there's a huge level of trust, um, professionalism and, and that, you know, brings that bond in pretty tight. There's a great competitive spirit in our community. Yeah. Uh, especially in sports, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I get smoked by my brother Kevin, and we're going to talk about Kevin in a minute. Yeah, he should be here. Yeah, right? if there was one person I'd say you want to interview, that would be you know uh, Kevin Childry. For those that knew and know Kevin, right? Uh, one thing I'll say is that you're never you're never gone because mm-hmm. people still remember you. Yeah, right? you're never dead until right. You're you're forgotten. And yep. we'll never forget Kevin. He lives within us. He's got a great spirit. And um, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. 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 Uh, before we, we get there, one other thing with what you had said, you know, the the special operations versus EOD. And I I didn't understand this. I didn't even think about it when I first mm-hmm. came in because I was more worried about, you know, not getting fired and kicked out. Um, <laughs> I just needed to study and learn everything I needed to learn and hope that I learned enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the the longer I've been in, the more I do realize it's it's interesting because EOD is a job we do inside of the job that we do. True. Like, yeah, we, we have the EOD badge, yeah. but that that is a portion of all the things we're asked to do. It's, it's crazy how many different things and how, uh, that it seems like every year we're asked to do something that we had no idea we were going to be asked to do before. And then we figure it out because we're, we're problem solvers. That's what we do. Right. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting because the longer, especially in this time period where it's not just, going over to Iraq, Afghanistan, doing, mm-hmm. doing the IEDs and, mm-hmm. and, and this and that, right. We're, we're asked to do so many different things right yeah. now. And, and that brings up a good point. And I think you brought it up as we were talking before is um, we need to put a, a new focus back into the underwater tradecraft. Yeah. Okay. It's for obvious reasons. It's not been the priority, uh, it, but it is now. Right? Yeah. There's still a, a big threat. And what I would tell our listeners is this, um, we talked about skills and transferable skills in mm-hmm. the private sector. Um, embrace autonomy. Embrace ROVs, UUVs, aerial drones, because they're effective. 
if you use them correctly. Um, they, they, they remove uh, quite a bit of a danger, so yeah. to speak. But certainly they can dive to 300 feet and not need decompression. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so there's a lot of upside there. And, and I do believe some people are kind of still a little, you know, resi- not resistant, but just a little standoffish. Mm-hmm. I would say um, learn it. It's not hard. And, and learn to operate it, learn to maintain it, just like we do all our other gear. Because, you know, I'm looking right now, there's several <laughs> positions yeah. required at ROV and UUV companies. Yeah. So, you know, I just, it's just one thought as we, as we refocus our communities. Yeah. Now, I, I, I totally agree, even though I, at one point, was one of those people resistant. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, we're all friends here. Um, it's... I was talking recently about the the way we approach problems, right? And most of the time we figure out from the solution, right? Like the end of the problem, how do I successfully do that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we work backwards. And part of that is when you know what the problem is mm-hmm. and you know, then you figure out, okay, how do I, how do I, solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Then you work backwards and say, what tools do I have to be able to solve that problem? A similar thing to the way I'm not going to get into it, but the way we determine what RSP to use, right? When we look in our pubs, it's the same kind of thing. Um, But as we, as we work that underwater problem, there's times where ROV may not be the, the answer, right? But then there's probably a lot more times now because of the safety factor where, hey, I can do it in a very similar amount of time and I'm significantly further away. And if something goes wrong, okay, it's it's money that's lost. It's not a person. Right. And that's always better. And we'll talk about current Jeff. Yeah. And uh, current Jeff, um, I'm in the AI business not artificial intelligence, but automated intelligence, uh, robotics that does repeatable things. Okay. Right? So I'm gonna fast forward a little bit. Uh, I am a co-founder of a startup called Unman. Uh, <laughs> I'm in operations group. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we uh, are in the precision logistics space and we used aerial drones to do that. Um, and Drones, aerial, has forever changed the battle space. Yes. Think about what's going on in Eastern Europe. Yeah, it's crazy. I listened to a podcast the other day, if you got two minutes. Yeah. And drones are my business. So I'm into the market research and what's going on. What are the trends, the new technologies, right? We're talking long range capabilities at a fraction of the cost. Right. Um, And so there's a group in Eastern Europe that uh, uh, got together. Uh, some are uh, people that raise money, people that make them, people that operate them. And um, they've raised over $100 million on social media to build uh, aerial drones to be used in Eastern Europe against their adversaries. Yep. Okay? And um, the guy was, he, he's a radio talk show. Yeah. Host, right. You, you can go on it. It's the daily. You could write. I'm not telling you anything out of school. <laughs> and I was just fascinated. But it has forever changed the modern battle space. And we really need to get our arms around around swarm technology, mm-hmm. how to counter that. And uh, and certainly how to, in a, 
you know, commercial aspect, how, how to regulate uh, drones for good, not bad. And, and there's a lot of goodness. I don't want to get too deep, but there is going to yeah. be highways in the sky. Yeah. NASA is going to run it. Right. It's getting there. FAA is a little slow, uh, but it's happening right beyond visual line of sight. Uh, you're talking drones that could fly, you know, five, 10, 60 miles. Yeah. Right. And deliver goods and, and life saving meds, food. Right. Whatever. But um, OK, so where are we at? Um, uh, almost down my career path. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I want to get to my transition because yeah, I think I, your listeners. I think we're pretty much right there, right? You almost. did, you did 56. One. So, so, so after ta- group one, I go over to training in one in San Diego in uh, 2004 to 06. And that was kind of a mandate. So when we got back, we were doing a hot wash um, and uh, I got the tap. I said, Jeff, you need to get the troops ready for an ID fight. Because okay. we were focused on MCM and a few others, but he said you need to go to the back to the training unit and get us focused. Yeah. So I went over in 04 and 06. Uh, it started off as the XO, but I quickly, you know, did the Heisman. <laughs> Thank you, Ron, for taking <laughs> over. Ron Zitzman. So I, I was there, RT. I was a readiness officer, so yeah. it allowed me the, uh, the 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 opportunity to go get it done. And and one of the things we had to do was get a training facility that would give us the full scope of, of, of a range of operational, you know, exercise uh, options, desert, cold, you know, underground, all that uh, fire and move, shoot, communicate. And that for many uh, is known as Darwin wash, Darwin wash. So I got a story here. So here I am show up the training unit. We had nothing like that. Yeah. Nothing. Right. So uh, my counterpart, um, and I'll get to his name in a minute. My <laughs> counterpart says, Jeff, I think I got got what we need. So I go up to China Lake and uh, <clears throat> Todd, Todd takes me down a dirt road, need a kidney built. And we're in a place called Darwin Wash. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> it was a classified site um, because it's EMR. Uh, it, there's no EMR there. Right? Right. There's no rads going down there. And it was used for different projects. So it's out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is it. I said, what are we doing? <laughs> There's a tie down for an air balloon, right? Yeah. Like, are you what? And he goes, I want you to go back and get us the money to build the range. And that was Gunner Todd DeVoe. Okay. Then Lieutenant yeah. Jeff Simons, get your ass back to DC. And I did. So I figured it out, right? I had no contract experience, but like all the AD techs, you learn, yeah. read, learn and, and, and execute. So I wrote their compelling, came up with a budget, you know, I, I went back to D.C. and, and made the pitches and uh, we, we got uh, a million bucks up front nice. right, just to get things going. And we built the, you know, we built what is now the, the facility, the, the, the shed yeah. right, where everybody lives and sleeps. Pretty small. Sorry, a million bucks doesn't go far. <laughs> but all of the rest of that, the mount towns and the roads and the demolition ranges, uh, the targets, they have audio visual up there now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you haven't been there, it is very replicant of what it's going to be to work with a fob. You had the Hessians yep. and all that, right? So, yeah. so, you know, you were in that environment. And, um, and you know, three people I would call out here. One is uh, Todd DeVoe coming up with the vision and certainly, you know, 
again, relations. He had a good relation with the base. They gave us an MOU to use it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, everything else is history. You know, Mark Sanders really uh, took took the torch and, and ran with it. You know, what we started uh, really took it forward. And then, you know, I was just, I won't say the money guy, but yeah, requirements. So, yeah. Um, but that's a good piece of it. Right? You got to have that triad. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, so the training in it was where I capped my career at 26. Um, yeah. I, uh, I was an op hold, right? I think I was telling you, 06, yeah. 04 to 06, we were losing large tax. Yeah. Had 100 IEDs a day, you know, going off in Iraq. And so I was on op, op hold, couldn't get out. And uh, not that I wanted to get out, but I wanted to get back in the fight. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, no, you're, you're, right, you're up for lieutenant commander. And I actually pulled my name from the list. I said, hey, I don't want to take anybody's spot. And I actually went to Jim Bean. I said, Jim, take me off your, you know, I had a pretty good ranking. I said, why don't you use it elsewhere? And uh, believe it or not, I was selected yeah. <laughs> lieutenant commander. So, um, so I exited. And this is a story I'd like to tell for just real quick. So yeah. here I am the day of my retirement in 06. I forgot the actual month, but um, I was at Mobile and 3, uh, Captain Dale Fleck. Thank you, Dale, for letting me host it there. And um, that day of my retirement, we uh, were burying uh, Ed Koth, mm. Edward Koth, and I recruited Ed into the program. He was a 31, or he was a PSI, I think we call it, PSI. Yep. <clears throat> so recruited him, and, uh, and he actually came through the training unit Right. He went to school, comes back. And I remember as I was uh, in departing service, he was going through the training in it. You know, great story. Well, uh, Ed um, deployed and um, let's just say did not receive the adequate training to deal with then uh, a new threat, homemade explosives. Yeah. Okay. We just didn't have the, didn't as a new threat. Right. Yep. And so um, I committed at that point to say, you know what, if I could get back in the fight, if I could train another EU tech, right, I'll do it. So I had a lot of options, right? I'm departing service, I'm getting, you know, opportunities in the civilian sector, the private sector. And one, one offer came clear was to work with an organization that was focused, right, on the counter ID fight. Had the, the the reputation, you know, had the back office, had all the, the contract vehicles, mm-hmm. you know, all of that to, to be able to um, uh, get back in the fight, you know, affect the the outcome, which is um, a company that was started, small business. Um, I think Ken founded it in 03. Yeah. And um, this is a cool story. So uh, this guy, Ken, I'll call him Ken <laughs> for now. And so Ken gets out. Uh, very successful master chief in the Navy, EFD, gets out, starts his company. I join in 06 and literally it just, uh, you know, skyrocketed, so to speak. The demand, if you will, for counter IED training and counter IED measures and all that was really just, we were just on the on the big upslide. Uh, you couldn't get enough EOD techs. Right, right. right. And, uh, and so AT Solutions right? Founded by Ken Falk was where I went. And uh, like I said, I had no book of business, you know, and, and so I linked up uh, with an organization that, that had the foresight, the vision, obviously. So they had requirements, 
right? They had the vision and they certainly had the, the funds to, um, uh, to affect what was the largest counter ID training program in the DOD. And that was JTAC, if you all remember that. Yeah. The Joint Asymmetric Threat Awareness Course. It was a big MTT. Thing. Yep. We went all over the world. We were training, you know, uh, Army, Marine Corps, Navy from, you know, I'll call it level one, basic identification to, you know, neutralization and exploitation. We were the kind of the CSI for IEDs at one point. We were in the labs. We had presence in the labs. We were doing um, exploitation uh, training and techniques Yeah, there at AT. And uh, what a phenomenal um, uh, experience. So I get out. Um, learn the business, right? You're learning spreadsheets and, you know, timesheets and, you know, profit and loss. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and let me, let me just fi- fast forward a little bit. So in, so 06 to 2009, I was here in San Diego uh, standing up this program, which is a pretty big program. And uh, the business, uh, Ken sells the business to a private equity firm. Okay. Right back in DC and New York, yeah. big, big time, right? These private equity firm of $2 billion, right? We were just small little yeah. company in their portfolio. And so, uh, so we're graduating from small business to large. Mm-hmm. Okay. And ain't no SOP for that. Right. <laughs> so I get, the, I get the nod from a, a wonderful man who's a great friend and mentor. His name is Dennis, Dennis Kelly, and he became the CEO. So when Ken left, Dennis came the CEO. And he said, Jeff, I want you to be my COO. It's like, why would you want me to do that? Right. <laughs> well, first of all, there's a bet that you'll never leave San Diego. <laughs> come, come to Washington, D.C. Yeah. By the way, Ken, you lost. <laughs> so, so, um, uh, but what a great opportunity, right? So I had to move the family. And we'll talk about sacrifice a minute. Our mm-hmm. families and our, of, you know, immediate family to moms and dads really, really are sacrificed as well. Yeah. Okay. So here we're uplifting my family in my daughter's senior year of high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she That's still loves me. Yeah. I can't believe it. Right. <laughs> but opportunity knocked. We took it. I was the COO. Uh, and we went from, I was employee 89. We went to 800 employees. Wow. Right. What a growth yeah, you know, trajectory. Cool. And we were doing, you know, amazing things, not only in the DOD space, but uh, the federal space, uh, the Intel community. Um, and so we, from that point, we, the business was acquired by another big business, uh, PAE. Okay. Pacific Architects and Engineering. People know that. So AT is now actually part of PAE. Um, and um, oh, one other thing. So, right, as as the XO, so to speak, I would go to uh, board meetings in New York City. Yeah. And that's where the money was, by the way. That was CI Capital. So every quarter, my boss, Dennis, myself, and our CFO, uh, Miss Debbie Ritchie, who taught me so much and was so patient. I, I really appreciate it, Debbie, but, uh, and talented, like beyond. So the three of us would schlep up to DC, sorry. <laughs> we'd go, to, uh, no, sorry, from DC to New York. And we'd have to meet with the board. And let me tell you who's on the board, okay? It, it's kind of like a murder board yeah. times 10. <laughs> the Joint Chiefs of Staff was on the board. Yeah. The Secretary of Defense was on our board, okay? And that was Bill Perry, Secretary Bill Perry. Okay, Hugh Shelton, 
uh, General Kern. You have the godfather of all stealth, uh, Paul Kaminsky. I can go on, right? That's just the New York board. Then we had a DC board. And so, you know, being in that presence and, and understanding what's important and what's on their minds. Right. Right. From that perspective, yeah. I mean, you got the Joint Chiefs of Staff and he's asking me, so, Jeff, what do you think the forecast is for our work in Afghanistan? I said, well, sir. And it was a murder board. I'd have binders of mm-hmm. stuff, anticipating questions. And I would literally have the, you know, at least some revenants of, of what I, you know, uh, certainly the question being relevant, kind of anticipated. Yep. But let me tell you this. If you don't know the answer in that group, sir, I'll get back to you. Right. Right. I, I'm not sure. Never say I don't know. So, but I, I think I know where to get that answer. Mm-hmm. I will get back to you. And you do so. Right. Yeah. In a timely fashion. So wh- what amazing experience. And that was my period from 06 to 15. That, that's awesome. That is uh, that's something that you can take. And honestly, we we should take and start very early. Right. The the getting in front of people that have way more. Yeah. A lot of times you get in front of boards like that and, and they know a good amount of the answers to the questions. Right. And they just want to see like, are you going to BS me or are you going to give me the information that, that I need? Mm-hmm. And can I trust you? Right. right. And right. then, because yeah. really yeah. In, in these spaces, trust is really what you want in somebody. And then you, if you get that, then you're like, okay, go and do all the things that I need you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but starting that early, you know, starting that as a junior guy with, you know, we, we do it mm-hmm. in our, in our different boards, our scuba boards or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you do the, the senior boards and the master boards. And then I, I think, you know, going into uh, on this last deployment, briefing the Admiral and uh, you know, just different things going on. Yeah. And, and we, we had one come up and, uh, <laughs> This was kind of funny. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit embarrassing, but again, we're all friends here. Um, <laughs> so he, we had in our, in our brief um, level one exploitation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like I looked at that right before we went in and I was like, what the F is that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we, we just don't use that in our normal day. We do it in our normal day. We do it in our training. Right. But I was like, man, I haven't used this term in forever, you know, because we're always thinking like the advanced side. And of course we get in there and we're briefing and we just like slide by that real quick. Mm -hmm. And I see him and he circles it and he doesn't say it right away. And then he goes, you know, and, and then come back to it. And he's like, I got a question. This level one, what is that? And I was like, "Mm." and I waited Oh, I see. It was kind of in the same boat. I was like, we both kind of just slid through that really quick. And it's like, oh, sir, like, I I don't want to say, I forget exactly how I put it, but basically I was like, let me verify that what I think we're trying to say here is exactly what it is. And I'll I'll get back to you. And then went downstairs, did that. And and it it is, it's finding the right way to say that you don't know without saying you don't know. Because 90% of what we do is, I need to know where to find it and try to, as time goes on, learn as much information about it as possible. But then you're not going to learn everything. You're not going to know everything, but being prepared mm-hmm. and then knowing where to find it. it, it and if I may, just to yeah. re- re- hit that again, um, risk. So right. in uniform and out of uniform, you need to identify risk, right? Uh, identify the causes. You, you, we do this 
as a natural occurrence, yeah. right? Risks, what are my risks? What am I doing? What's my objectives? How am I getting in and out? Okay. And um, uh, one of the things I'll tell you is that at the time, AT uh, was one of the few businesses that was authorized by the government to carry uh, weapons okay. for uh, for our missions, when I say missions, training, mm-hmm. right? we were out doing missions, training, right? But uh, we had large volumes of, of foreign nationals that we had to make sure they were safe. And right, we're out, you know, we're in, we're in fobs yeah. right? with razor wire around us. That's it. Yep. And we're training those f- people on the fob on the latest ID. I mean, we would turn around a first scene device and exploit it, re- replicate it and physically replicate it. In 72 hours. That's awesome. Because he needed to get that information out. So yep. our teams would go out in some pretty austere places and we would carry weapons. Now, how do you think your board of directors feels about that? And they sit on other boards yeah. of other companies that wouldn't touch that. Right. The 10-foot pole. The risk is too high. So, <laughs> silence. Right? <laughs> yeah. How are you as a COO going to mitigate that risk? Yeah. Right. So, you know, we had a plan, had some great, great uh, operators around us, around me, and saying, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. It starts with training. So selection, mm-hmm. training, right? Uh, uh, procedures, so to speak. When I say procedures, yeah, it ain't so to speak. You know, how we get weapons in and out, ITAR compliant, yada, yada, right. transfer, you get all that. And, um, you know, we never had an incident, maybe an accident. No, um, <laughs> no, we never had an incident, accident. Um, it uh, it turned out to be a very successful program right these things that we were doing these yeah. programs turned out to be very successful obviously our operators and others benefited right. by having that defense so that they could go out and do those missions out in some pretty austere places yeah. so risk risk management in and out of uniform it that's a really big uh, uh, attribute mm-hmm. that i think uh, many in in uniform don't recognize that they have when they leave service yeah so you were you were working on uh, AT AT Solutions doing the the CO thing, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, I got fired. <laughs> yeah, and say, that's why I, you're here. I, I no. was fired. No, <laughs> no. I convinced I convinced <clears throat> the new management team that they didn't need me to spend another winter. In yeah. AT. I did. Oh, uh, you just needed. You just wanted to win the bet that you wouldn't stay here. Right. But then you came right yeah, back. So, yeah, yeah. So, smart. <laughs> uh, so, so to your question, what what happened? Right. Well, obviously, a successful exit. Uh, we were acquired, integrated, uh, and I um, had a, a life choice. I could stay in the Beltway and do the Beltway thing, and that's a grind. By yeah. the way, that was a really tough uh run when i say run uh amazing experience i'd Mm -hmm. never turn it down but really tough and and one thing i'd like to talk about briefly is work-life balance yeah i always hear this we work is it possible let me be very clear the answer is no agree okay let me just take two minutes to talk about absolutely right when you're working 16 12 hours a day just do the math so eight hours of sleep leaves you four hours well, guess what? And you're in D.C. Two of those four hours are consumed by uh, mind numbing commuting. Yeah. OK, so you got two hours. What are you going to do with them? You're going to go to the gym. You're going to go see your kid. 
or, or, you know, make up to your wife for being gone so much. Right. And so um, what I would say to those that are in that professional situation is you need to use your PTO every ounce of it in a year. Don't, don't bank it. Don't save it. Take two days off in the middle of the week, two days off in the middle of the week, you know, go take your kid to, to school, take your wife out to lunch. Right. Or your spouse, excuse me. And, um, you know, get a week or two off for vacation, like totally detached. Mm-hmm. And this is in and out of uniform, I would tell you. Yeah. Right. Even in uniform, you, you really have to discipline. It seemed to be a, you know, kind of a, you know, hey, I got, you know, 90 days booked. I haven't taken, you know, in three years. Right. That 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 we need to change that mentality. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I would keep track of that. I really would. I would see people banking too much leave in the in the business and literally we would have periods within our programs that I'd say, we need to shut down ops. If you're going to take leave, it's right here. And we would do that. And our group presidents were really good about that, you know. And uh, so work-life balance, uh, very difficult. Take your PTO, give back to your families until you get to a point, right, where I've, I think I've achieved in my life a work-life balance, which is my 30-30 rule. 30, 30, 30, which is 30% work, right? Which is uh, USOG, I mean, systems ops group, right? Startup business, whoa. Um, and uh, 30% giving back. So I do work with a local uh, nonprofit step, okay. support the enlisted project. And um, also some work with the EOD Warrior Foundation. I was on the board, as you remember, I, I was a co-founder yeah. with the Wounded EOD Warrior Foundation right? with Ken Falk and Julia, God bless them. And uh, so we were co-founders, started it. And then, as you may recall, it combined with the, um, I forgot what it was called, the EOD Memorial at mm. the time. So, so yep. the Wounded EOD Warrior Foundation and EOD Memorial Foundation combined right, to the EOD Warrior Foundation, yeah. you know. <clears throat> what an amazing story, right? And the people and those that uh, volunteer, the ambassadors, the staff, right, the the leadership, the donors, right? Yeah. Um, it is an amazing uh, organization. I was fortunate to be a part of that. So, so that's my other 30. And then the other 30 is goofing off. Yeah. Right? It's my time. It's my hobby time. I'm yeah, I've taken up a few new hobbies. I'm a beekeeper. Yeah. Now to beekeep. Nice. Yeah. Um, started at an orchard. Right? That's awesome. A working orchard, right? And I never did anything like that. Yeah. So I'm learning, right? Um, and then I think you were asking about what happened after you got fired. <laughs> I came back. We came back to San Diego and I owed it to our family. Yeah. Right? We moved eight times in uniform. Moved my daughter out in her high senior year. Yeah. And um, I said, hey, where do we want to go? We had an opportunity. You know, where do you want to go? And we looked at all places, east and west. And we said, let's, let's go back to San Diego. Mm. You know, and um, the culture, the community, right, opportunity, and certainly the sunshine. Yeah, right? absolutely. It, it's just, right, sorry, after five years in D.C. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, so came back to San Diego in 15 relocated. And guess what? I went back to school. Yeah. So this is a kind of a unique story. So, um, I come back, it's June, July, and I, my boss, Dennis Kelly said, Jeff, and he even offered me the opportunity while I was at COO, right. To get my master's. I, I did not have a B degree at the time. 
And uh, this is amazing on the job experience, though, running a company yeah. in the profit and loss sector, right? Jeez. So I'm so indebted to Dennis for that opportunity and others, obviously, who, you know, had the trust and confidence. Right. right. And so I go back to school and I got accepted on a dean's exception. Oh, yeah. I was late or right? I'm just getting back. I said, man, I got some time here. I'd really love to, you know, go back and get you should always be in some type of educational program. I don't care if it's a, you know, a correspondence course or whatever, you should always be self-improving through education. Yeah. Right. So I got accepted to the USC. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Marshall School of Business and um, Dean's, I was late, right? I was late, but I had a, a, I had a GI bill. Yeah. I used it. Right. So we'll take your money. <laughs> right. They did. I think they did. Anyway, what an amazing experience. So you got this OJT. Now I go to the Academa, right? And I'm like, well, that makes sense. Yeah, I learned that, knew that, right? And uh, so I went to school, back to school from 15 to 17. Okay. Um, it was an executive MBA program. It's a little different, right? Because you're, you're uh, probably in the, it's like a war college a little bit. You're in the you know, upper tiers of, of business. Right. So these are VPs, senior VPs of very large companies, Qualcomm. Okay. Wow. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Qualcomm, a lot of big pharma's companies, entertainment company, right. Um, Walt Disney's executives from Walt Disney were in my sister class, so wow. to speak in LA. So I had three uh, other classes that uh, we would collaborate with. One was in LA and the other one was in other one, excuse me, was in Shanghai. Okay. And guess what nation, what international study we were focused on? China. That makes sense. <laughs> wow. I'm telling you what, what an education, what an insight. Okay. Uh, not only was it our international study, right? Uh, we went there for three weeks. Oh, that's cool. And uh, uh, through USC, because there's a lot of alumni at USC, from yeah. USC in China. And we would go uh, Bank of China. We go see automakers, right? We would go to various uh, companies within China and learn about what they're doing, how do they do business, yeah. how business is done, right? So to speak, the culture, right? What's important to them, mm -hmm. right? And uh, again, what are the threats? What are the like a SWAT strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, right? And so it was a real eye opener to understand from this perspective, this academia. Because they enabled us to have insights that not many will get. Yeah. Right? You're not going over there in uniform and right. talking to CEOs of private firms to understand business, not for anything nefarious. Right, right. right. <clears throat> so, so I went back to school and walked out a more enlightened person, so to speak, and the uh, relations that uh, you establish and, and, the, and um, the insights that you know, your, your classmates now can give you, Yeah. for instance, I, I have a good classmate. He works in the chemical industry. He'll tell you exactly what the price of fuel is going to be or yeah. the price of something. Cause he sells the chemical. Yeah. And so that's awesome. Getting those, uh, connections, you know, you talked about it in uniform, but it, it it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. you, you need, uh, uh, connections and uh, relationships, probably a better word, not yeah. just connections, but relationships mm -hmm. with, with people. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so let's see. Um, actually one of the things you wrote down on the, on the thing was, uh, staying relevant. And I think that kind of, mm. you, you kind of, 
um, brought up a portion of staying relevant yeah. with just continuing education in some mm-hmm. form or another. Um, but then, you know, it, it makes sense in the EOD realm. It's easy to see in the EOD realm, I think, staying relevant. Cause if you, I mean, we see it, we see it with, uh, when active duty or not, and somebody continually uses, well, this is what I used to do. Right. And you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But now we have a new tool. We have a new yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. So staying, staying up mm-hmm. on how things are done and the new tools, you know, again, going to the, here's the problem that I have. Here's the solution. Here's how to solve that problem. Now, what do I have to mm-hmm to do that with, um, staying relevant, but on, on the, the, the outside, um, staying relevant, is is it, have you found it, um, harder, easier, or basically the same to, to stay relevant in the different spaces, uh, working, you know, like with UOG, um, I, I feel like there's, you know, there's the civilian portion of that, but I feel like there's a, could be a tie into the military portion of that as well. Um, has it, is it easier, harder, basically the same as when you were, um, active duty? Uh, great question. Right. Because part of it is (laughs) you have to have the discipline to be relevant. Mm. Okay. And so an example is, yeah, I had, uh, good experience at underwater autonomy, right? With UUVs and RVs in uniform, use the Remus, right? Um, what was the ROV? Uh, Video Ray. Video Ray and C-Bot. Right? And, yeah. C-Botics, yeah. So, so I wasn't, yeah, when I say an expert, but I, I, I knew how they operated. Mm-hmm. Certainly went through enough uh, sonar, you know, or imagery to mind-like or non-mind-like. Yeah. You know? So I uh, had, had good experience, but the, you know, because that was our job, right? So you can immerse yourself in it, but now it's like going back to school. Yeah. Right. It's going, it takes discipline, right? It really takes a a want to be relevant. Uh, So now I'm in the, um, I'll call it, well, it's not calling it, it's AI, but I'm in the drone space. Right. And uh, it, it's a daily, it's a daily one. I'm up, I'm reading what's what's happening in you know news. I'm reading my newspaper, which are all these different feeds of information, deciphering it. Right, uh, who's getting funded? Who's not getting funded? Mm. Right, what's the new regulations and executive orders that are tightening screws on any work with Asian countries? Mm-hmm. So the U.S. drone companies, like ourselves, had to pivot uh, to new supply sources other okay. than Asia. Okay. Yeah. So you have to maintain relevancy to stay up with what's going on. Right. And so it's a matter of discipline. Uh, you, you need, you want, you, you know, you need some passion. Yeah. You, you got to want to know because I'm not interested in, you know, mm, yeah. yeah. I'm not interested in cooking. Yeah. Right? <laughs> My wife is, God bless her, but I'm not. Right. So you, you have to have some of that passion. Yeah. Something that's going to drive you. Uh, it's a daily one. If you're going to be relevant, uh, stay educated. Relevancy is, like I said, there's a lot of hosts of, of information flow. It used to be off a newspaper. Yeah. Right? Uh, but now we have so many sources mm-hmm. to include social media. Yep. Okay. Uh, pros and cons of that. No, that's, that's good. That makes, uh, that makes sense. I like the, the uh, discipline portion because like sometimes you don't think about that because mm-hmm. 
not every day you wake up, are you mm-hmm. motivated to do everything that you have to do? And that's where the discipline comes in on the days that you're motivated. Discipline doesn't matter because you don't need it. Right. <laughs> but on the days that you're not, right. Ah. Um, something that I do want to, want to, uh, go in and talk about is, uh, um, is what you got here. Oh. The, uh, the, uh, uh, mm-hmm. I know you said you, you worked with, uh, <sighs> Um, with children, uh, children, mm-hmm. children. Yes. Um, before, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you asked me if I, if I knew him, I, I never, I never knew him, but, um, I know how influential and how mm. good of a person. And then, and I'm separating the two for, for a specific reason, mm-hmm. um, how good of a person he was, uh, and as well, how great of an EOD yeah, um, yeah. presence he had mm. because there, there's a ton of people that, that bring his name up yeah. and in, yeah. in all various aspects. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love for you to tell your well, Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm not sure where the camera's pointed in my face in this way or that uh, way. Either, either, one. So, either one. So first and foremost, Kevin Childry, for those that remember, maybe a semblance. No, he, this guy always had the effervescent smile, right? He said he's from Simi Valley, but he was from Happyville, yeah. California, right? <laughs> Kevin always had this infectious smile, um, su- such an engaging uh, presence, right? It, when you were in his presence, he, it was, he was always engaged, yeah. right? He had that am- amazing ability to make you the person in the room, so to speak, right? Um, obviously, uh, I think Kevin was a whole tech too. Yeah. Right, Kevin? <laughs> so LDO, right? He was the year after okay. myself. Right. So he was selected in, give me a minute, I'm dating myself, 97, I believe it was. Okay. If I have that wrong, I apologize. But uh year after I was selected. And uh, you know, same same path, right? Training units, Moby units, operations, got it. And um and so Kevin had this amazing ability to inspire people to do things that they didn't want to do, right? <laughs> they didn't want to do it, Kevin. And, and one of the things I'll, I'll hold up, and for those that remember The Undefeated, so The Undefeated was a, um, uh, a charity, when I say charity, it was a bike ride, a two-day bike ride from LA to San Diego that raised funds for uh, various nonprofits, not just the EOD Warrior Foundation, which was a big recipient. Yeah. Okay. But he, he spread love, so to speak. And so the undefeated started off very small and then it got really big. Yeah. And the driving force beyond others. And I apologize if I don't get everybody's name involved in this, but he was a big driving force behind this. And so the undefeated for those remember, and uh, you know, uh, kudos to Vince Martinez, who I think is, you know, picked up the torch uh, with, with those bike rides. Um, and, and you, we can go online. Maybe you could put a link to some of these. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's one up at uh, the Tackett Vineyards here in November, but he does them all over. Right. He's like the ambassador for what I consider the legacy undefeated, which okay. was started by Kevin. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. Um, yeah, d- definitely like send me all the, all the links you got yeah. and I'll make yeah. sure that they get in the descriptions. Yeah. Cause that would be, that'd be great. So, and he's one of the people I wish we're here. Yeah. You should be, you know, interviewing because yeah. he certainly um, touched a lot of lives and inspired others 
to do things like he said they want to do. No, yeah. <laughs> no, really did. I mean, he, he really impacted so many lives through raising funds that did so many good things for families, uh, EOD warrior families. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's interesting. You know, I know you're a, a little bit joking about doing things you don't want to do, but that that's actually something that, that I've heard. I can't remember the specific yeah. thing, but, and it's the thing about getting people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do. Mm -hmm. Right. Is being able to frame it mm. in a way that now Matters. actually matters yeah. and they understand and now they are motivated. So it's not, it's not because again, that's, that's a thing that I've heard from him mm -hmm. from uh, a couple different people is, is that it, mm -hmm. framing things in a way that motivates you that if without that mm -hmm. conversation, I'm not interested in this. And, and, you know, I haven't heard right. the thing that makes me interested in this at all. Don't care about it. Yeah. And then yeah. the conversation yeah. and now you're like, I want to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. And if I may, because it's a, it's a characteristic trait that you need both in and out of uniform. Yes. When you're in uniform, it's pretty simple. Hey, Simon's suit up. You're going down range. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, when you're in this, you know, private sector, you're right. You have to frame it. You have to inspire people collectively to be moving in the right direction for the right purpose. Right. Um, and it's not easy. Yeah. And, and some people have it. Some people don't. Some people need to work at it. Yeah. Right. They have to work at it. <laughs> so, um, but th that's a trait that Kevin certainly had. You know, the other one he had, what? he had the ability to talk the leg off a chair. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be sitting there looking at him. I'm like, all of a sudden I fall over. I'm like, where did my, where did I go? He goes, I just took it from it. Cause I needed it. Right. <laughs> so, That's awesome. so again, right. Again, another great attribute that certainly Kevin has, I would say it's a trait that you, you may want to explore, right. Yeah. You have a joke or two, right. Or, but at the end of the day, it's about authenticity. Right. Because people could see right through you. Absolutely. Right? Authenticity and um, reputation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Especially in this community. You can mm. you can see when it's just, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. As we kind of get ready to, to close out, is there anything, you know, I want to, mm. one, make sure that it, we didn't miss anything that you wanted to, mm. to talk about. But, yeah. Mm. Please. Um, and then wanted to, uh, what I, what I ask everybody is, is there anything that you would like to, to leave mm. with, mm -hmm. you know, those watching? Yeah, I appreciate that. So maybe the two things I would leave with is our community of professionals and I'm speaking about EOD, right? Um, again, we're a very unique profession. Uh, we develop very unique traits and experiences and skills. Yeah. I mean, like none other. Um, and like I said, it's not a matter if it's when we transition to the, you know, private sector and for some that's pretty tough. Yeah. And I think some of the uh, challenges that, that our, our shipmates, if I can use that term, you know, encompassing for all services is that, you know, sometimes as we transition, we lose our passion, right? Our mission and our purpose. And, and that's where I think um, some of our, our fallen have uh, uh, fallen, unfortunately, into, mm -hmm. into that, you know, 
I won't call it darkness, but it's that, yeah. that realm of what's my purpose now? I used to have a parking spot. I don't. Right. Yeah. I used to have a paycheck. I got to I have to apply for, you know, a, a new job every three years. Mm-hmm. So it is a challenge. There is a lot of assistance out there. Right. Again, it goes back to discipline. You got to do the work, but there's a lot of portholes. You know, the EOD Warrior Foundation, the Hero Foundation. Um, there's several others. I, I know I don't have them all, but mm-hmm. seek those assistances and yeah. those networks. The other thing I say is we talked about it again. Our professionals develop some amazing. We do some amazing things. OK. And as we were talking, um, think about entrepreneurship. Right. Yeah. People get out of uniform and they start a business. Yeah. And it ain't easy. Right? Trust <laughs> me. Right. Uh, as a startup, I'm telling you, it's different than walking into a functioning organization like AT. Right. So um, entrepreneurs, um, I'm not going to get them all, but there are countless and I repeat countless stories, uh, success stories of uh, people from the EV communities, special ops, uh, departing service and starting a business. Okay? Yeah. Ken Falk is one, right? R3 is one. Uh, there's several others. And again, I'm, I'm not being parochial, but so, so there's entrepreneurs in our community, inventors, right? I now I didn't realize this, but I have my name on five patents. Really? Yeah. Nice. Right? Now that I develop them, right? But I work with the team and I, right. I'm an operator. I'm like, Hey, have we thought about this? This is how we're going to use it, you know? And, um, and so working with the team, you know, we've developed five patents. So you have innovators. I'm just giving some examples. There's a lot of innovation in our community because we're dealing with real time threats. Yeah. It's always emerging. Like I said, drones have forever changed the battle space mm-hmm. of modern warfare. Think about what's going on in Eastern Europe. Yeah. So so innovation. Um, political. We have three, three. EOD techs in the House of Congress. Yep. Think about That's that. right. Maybe, maybe president. No, <laughs> yes. All right. Secretary of Defense. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> at least, right? But we have some really amazingly gifted um, states people, right? That understand the big picture. Yeah. Right. And can represent that. Um, and I, I, I would just say that that's a hard, that's a really hard profession. We need more of them. And then lastly, um, you know, the amazing things this community does is giving back. I uh, think about all of the wonderful nonprofits, right? The Border yeah. foundations. You, okay. There's uh, the Naval Special Ops Foundation. Yep. Um, again, uh, a lot of selfless dedication uh, to go out there and to inspire others, right? Yeah. To, to support those organizations that are doing good things. So, so again, there, there is all these wonderful, I call categories of opportunity that I would encourage uh, our listeners to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you uh, bringing all that up because that is, that's something that we should constantly think about whether you just came in mm-hmm. and even if you think you're going to do 20 years, start, start looking for those things at the beginning. There's opportunities mm-hmm. that you can, you can build those relationships mm-hmm. and then, uh, yeah, give give people a uh, a way to to keep a parking spot. You know, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and yeah, you're right. 
keep that purpose. Mm -hmm. so I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing. Thanks so much. It's been it's awesome. Been, it's been wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, to all of our listeners, God bless, be safe, and hug an EOD tech. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.